Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Let's pray and let's just ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate these scriptures uh, so they can touch us. Lord, we just thank you uh, that we can come to know you through your word. And we just ask, uh, Father, through your Holy Spirit, that you would breathe upon these words, that they wouldn't just remain uh, words on a page, uh, but Lord, that you would take them off the page and just impress them on our hearts. And I just pray for each of us, Lord, <clears throat> that you would uh, just highlight into our own spirits that part of Daniel 12 that you're really trying to speak to us directly. So, Lord, we come with an open heart, with an expectant heart to meet you, and we thank you again uh, for the privilege of doing this as brothers and sisters together. And it's in your name we ask it, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's read Daniel 12. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation under that time, until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many into righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others were standing, one on the bank of the river and the other on the bank of the river. And when one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be a time, times, and a half time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. As for me, I heard, but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, go your way, Daniel. For these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. If on the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. 
how blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> so as I'm looking at Daniel 12, uh, there's three things uh, that stand out to me. Number one, we're talking about the end times, when time is going to be wrapped up and Jesus comes back. That's one thing. The second uh, is that every human being, everybody here on this screen, everybody that attends Fusion Church, in fact, everybody that's on the planet is going to spend eternity in one of two places, either in heaven or in hell. There is no in-between. And the third point we're going to look at today is Christ is coming back for a pure and a holy bride. For a pure and a holy bride. So let's look at number one, <clears throat> the idea of the end times. If you look at verse one, uh, it says this, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. So Michael is an, uh, an archangel. Uh, like Gabriel, they are like way up there in regards to angelic rank. And Michael has had a history of overseeing and watching over the nation of Israel. So uh, Michael's there, and it says here, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Uh, and at that time, your people, everyone who is found written the, the book, will be rescued. A time of distress. So that's the big question. What, what is the time of distress? What's the setting here? Uh, and I think the best way uh, to set that stage uh, is for us to turn to the book of Matthew. So I'm going to read enough verses. Uh, keep your fingers right there in Daniel 12. But let's flip over to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And we're going to see in this sequence as we get closer to the end times, and we could very well be in that process now, uh, there's going to be different things that occur, that, and we're going to see somewhere where that great time of distress fits in those events. So if you look at Matthew 24, we're going to read a good chunk of it. Uh, it says this 24.1, and Jesus came out from the temple, was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he answered and said, do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Uh, and the disciples saying like, what, what, what are you talking about? This whole temple, this beautiful temple is going to be decimated. And it says three, and as he was sitting on the Mount of Oz, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they're played out saying, okay, well, what's, what's the time frame? What's going to be happening before you reign on this planet? And Jesus begins to knock off one by one the events that lead to the final coming of Jesus coming back on the earth. Look at verse 4. And Jesus answered, he said, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, 
and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not the end. So, okay, he's saying there's going to be false messiahs. There's going to be wars all over, and boy, we surely see wars. There's no doubt about that. Look at 7. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. We've been seeing a lot of earthquakes for sure. But these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. He says, when you see this, you're just beginning to see the beginning of the end. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. So again, we see as we get closer to the end, there will be persecutions, I believe, against the Jews and against Christians. So again, we're seeing this particularly right now on Jewish people, but also on Christians. Verse 11 kind of goes back in the beginning on the false messiahs. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And then 12, and because lawlessness is, is increased, most people's love will grow cold. So again, there's kind of like this, this falling away because of persecution. Now look at verse 15. As we're getting very close to the end, it says, this is what you can expect. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of to Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. So toward the very end of time, the Antichrist is going to try to establish himself as God and will enter a temple that has to be built yet. Right now, we know there's a Dome of the Rock over in Israel, and somehow that has to go so a temple can be erected, and the Antichrist is going to try to present himself there as God. Now, as we go a little bit further, um, here's where we start seeing the great distress that Daniel's talking about. Look at verse 21. And then there will be great tribulations, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. Remember, Daniel said times of great distress. This is the factor right now. The Antichrist is now beginning to persecute the church in verse 21. Look at 22. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, these days shall be cut short. And then he goes on a little bit later. As we wrap up time on the earth, verse 29. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And there will be the sign of the Son of Man appearing in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will um, mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and with great glory. And then as we wrap up 31, and he'll send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. 
So there it is. That's the time frame as we see it unfold as we get to the very end. And going back here uh, to Daniel, Daniel was saying that. Uh, and in verse 8 and 9, uh, Daniel's trying to make sense of what do you mean this time of great distress? And he says uh, in 8, as for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, when, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. So we're not going to know the day or the hour Jesus comes back. As we get closer to the end, we're going to begin to see these different signs begin to line up that I just read in Matthew 24. And basically, he's just giving a preview here in Daniel to project way out through the New Testament to the end of time. So he's referring here again, that time of great distress, when there's going to be persecution on the earth, I believe both of Jews and of Christians. So... Uh, he ends up saying, though, uh, that there's going to be a separation, a separation uh, of those that are believers and those that are not. So there's there's two different places we can be. If you look at uh, chapter 12, 1, uh, it talks about Michael. It says there'll be a time of great distress, such as the world has never heard. And then it says this, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. The book. What's the book? There's a certain book, and it's the book of life. And he's referring here basically to those that have made a commitment to Christ, those that are going to be with the Lord forever in heaven. That's the people that are in the book. That's the book you and I want to be in. And I want to track that back a little bit uh, for you to see that this idea of the book is not isolated here to Daniel. Uh, so I'm just going to give you a bundle of scriptures. If you have a penny, you want to write them down. I'm going to read them, but I want you to see some verses about this idea of a book. So in Malachi chapter three and verse 16, it says this, then those who feared the Lord, okay, these that love God, spoke to one another and the Lord gave attention and he heard it and a book of remembrance, that's the book we're talking about, a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. And they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on that day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. And verse 18. So you will again distinguish, here it is, so you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, okay? Two types of people between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. Now, there's a lot of references in the book of Revelation about this idea of the book. A lot of references. So, in Revelation chapter 3, and they see Revelation chapter 3, 5, it says this, He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, I will not, here it is, I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name uh, before my father and his angels. So the Lord says, I'm not going to take his name from the book of life. The book of life, again, represents a believer and those going to heaven. Also, Revelation chapter 13. 
and verse 8, Revelation 13. I'll turn the pages here, and verse 8. It says, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him. That would be the dragon, the beast that's representing the devil. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who has been slain. Written from the foundation of the world. In other words, God knew from the foundation of the world, every human being, that's ever going to be created, billions and billions, who knows, over all these centuries, maybe trillions of people. From the very beginning of time, God knew who was going to make a commitment to Christ and who was not. And it's not the idea that God, I don't believe, said any, many, money, mo. I'm choosing this person, I'm not choosing that person. The way I would see it more is God knows us so well, he knows whether we're going to open our hearts to the Lord or not. He just so wise, he can know us, even from eternity past, what decision we're going to make. And I think that's a kind of a reference there. Uh, another reference is uh, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 8. 17 and verse 8, it says this. The beast that you saw was and was not is about to come up out of the abyss to go to destruction, those who dwell on the earth will wonder, whose, here it is, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So it's the same idea about it's important to be in this book. In Revelation 20 and verse 12. Let me give you this, and then there's one other one after that. And John says this, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Again, the book of life. And last reference, uh, Revelation 21 and verse 27. Talking about heaven on earth. And nothing unclean, no one who practices abominations and lying, shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There you go. The book of life. Are we in it or are we not? And you know, the book of life is another way of saying, hey, guess what? We're going to be in heaven. And you know what's interesting to me? There's many more references to hell. I'll look at those in a minute. But not a lot of references to heaven per se. Uh, if you look at John 14, I'm just jumping around a lot, but I want to make sure I get these scriptures in for you. Here's probably one of the greatest references to heaven. John 14, 1, Jesus said this, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. That's what, that is heaven. And the good news is that heaven is going to be an amazing place. Uh, we see these words, uh, getting back to the book of Revelation, Revelation 21 and 3 and 4 here. If you want to know where you're going to spend eternity, what's going to be like, it says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. 
He will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. So basically, heaven is where God is, and that's where his saints are going to be. And then it says this, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no tears in heaven, and there will be no longer any death. Okay, we die once unless Christ comes and we're alive, but most of us will die. But there's not going to be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. I mean, it's amazing. No more suffering. No more pain. Hallelujah. And then it says here, uh, the symbol here of heaven, uh, this is Revelation 21, 23. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it. For the glory of God illuminates it. And its lamp is the lamb. There's going to be such glory that we won't need. Mike, you want the sunshine? <laughs> this is going to be the ultimate shot. The glory of God is going to so light up the atmosphere of heaven. Uh, and everything's going to be there worshiping the Lord, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's where we want to be. On the flip side, if you're not in the book of life, there is another place people can go. And that's separated. What is hell? It's separation from heaven. It's separation from God. And it's not a happy place. If you could think of heaven as total love, total peace and joy, then you could think of hell as hatred and discord and restlessness and depression and anxiety. Hell is not a pretty place at all. And the Bible's very clear that there is a hell. As I said, there's more written by Jesus about hell than heaven. Let me just give you a couple references. Uh, it says this in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29. Matthew 5, you can jot these down. Matthew 5, 29. Jesus said this. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Throw it from you. He doesn't mean literally take, you know, something and cut your eye out. He means be drastic with sin. Don't dilly-dally with it. Don't play with it because it's going to bite you in the end. So he says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of your parts of your body should perish than that your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus says, yes, there is a hell. Matthew chapter 10. Another reference, Matthew 10 and verse 28. Let me get that for you here, Matthew 10. I couldn't put both marks in all these because I ran out. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And if you look at Matthew 23, 33, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, those that just fought Jesus and gave him a hard time, those that were not responsive, those that did not believe in the Lord. And he says this, Matthew 23, 33, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? And in Matthew 25, <clears throat> Jesus describes the end time, 
that there's going to be a separation of Christians and non-Christians, the sheep and the goats. The sheep are those that have made a commitment to the Lord. The goats are those that have not made a commitment. And Jesus says for those goats, for those that will not come to Christ and they refuse his salvation, it says this, Matthew 25, 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So the Bible's clear, very clear. We will die. When we die, there's no middle ground. We'll either be with the Lord or we'll be separated from the Lord. We'll either be in heaven experiencing his glory or we'll be in hell, which is pure darkness and misery. And everything hinges on have we accepted Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. So I can't help but say, uh, doing the soap, it's just so important. Which book are you in? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? And let me just say this real quick. If you're not sure, let me try to just very quickly say how you can be sure. So my understanding of the gospel is this. God said he loves us, everybody on the screen. He has a passion for each of us. He wants a relationship. You were created for fellowship with him. Adam and Eve walked in such beautiful loving fellowship. That's the plan of God. Adam and Eve fell and sin entered the world. And by the way, that sin has found its way even in your heart and mind. You could say the word sin called selfishness, what you want, but something is crooked and it's distorted inside of us. And I think if we're honest, each of us could say there's a part of me that's not a pretty part. So God loves us, but we have a problem. The problem is sin. It's selfishness that messes us up. And the Bible's clear. We can't fix ourselves. Other religions say, yeah, try harder, try harder, do good deeds, whatever. Give it your best shot. But, but Christ says, basically, you can't fix yourself. And that's exactly why God, the Father, sent the Son of the world. John 3.16, God so loved the world. He loved each of us that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever, that means anybody on the screen or anybody out there, that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him will not perish, where? In hell, but will have, where? Eternal life in heaven. So God loves us. We have a problem. We can't fix it. God the Father sent Jesus in the world to put us back together again. A Christian is someone that says, Lord, I trust you that you did that for me. Not just intellectually, but trust in my heart. I trust in my heart, Lord, you did it for me. And I believe if we really believe that Jesus died for us, not only would we want to trust him, why wouldn't we want to then say, Lord, if you died for me, the least I can do is serve you, follow you, and surrender my life to you. In other words, make you Lord. When we do that, when we trust the Lord and we say, Lord, you run the show, you come in, you're number one. When we say that sincerely, at that point, we're born again and we're a new creature. So it's my hope and my trust that everybody on the screen has made that decision extremely important because it determines, number one, a abundant life here. Because the more I surrender here, the more the abundance of the life of Jesus shines in me, and it, it determines where I'll spend eternity. So, last point. <clears throat> 
Christ is coming back for a pure and a holy bride. Getting back here, let's look at Daniel again. And we're looking at Daniel, uh, verse 10. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Many will be purged, purified, and refined. That's saying, I believe, that's the church, that as we go further, closer to the end, God's going to do a work in the church. I believe this with all my heart. He said, I am going to purge the church. I'm going to purify the church. I'm going to refine the church. Why? Because the church, in many cases, looks like the world. And that doesn't give credit to the Lord. It doesn't bring the Lord glory. In fact, it gets the world to say, if that's what the church is about, and it's it's it dilly-dallies in the world, and it's lukewarm, if that's what it's about, I want nothing to do with it. So I believe as we get more and more toward the end, God is going to clean up the church. And what's the church is supposed to look like? Eventually, Ephesians 5, 27, it says this, that Christ would have a church without spot or wrinkle, and that she should be holy and blameless. That is a bride that's going to shine, shine, shine. In fact, uh, look at Daniel 12, 3. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteous like the stars forever and ever. I believe God's going to have a, a church that's going to shine brightly. And the presence of the Holy Spirit will fill that kind of a person. And they'll literally light up with the presence and the character of Jesus. <clears throat> now, let me give you, a, again, this is just my take. <clears throat> Excuse me. How's Christ going to do that? Look at the church today. As a whole, the church is a day, there's a portion of the church, and who knows, maybe a good portion of the church, it's really not on fire for the Lord. They're, they're, they're worldly. They dilly-dally with unholy things. They've, they've kind of become lukewarm. If I look at the church today, there's divisions of this. It, it, it doesn't look like the bride without spot and wrinkle. So how's God going to get us from where we are now to there? The way I would see it. As we get toward the end of time, <clears throat> there's going to be more and more and more persecution on the church. And we see that suddenly in America. It's beginning to occur. We know around the world it's happening, no doubt. But even in our own country, there's subtle persecution against people that say we have certain standards. We love the Lord. We're not going to bend to the world's opinion of different things. The way I see it is there will be more and more an intense persecution. And there's going to come a time, and this may well be, you know, as the Antichrist begins to come on the scene. Uh, but as we get to the end of time, <clears throat> persecution is going to be intense. And I believe it's going to cost a, a Christian something. Because as persecution comes on, we're either going to have to take a stand and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, or because of persecution, we're going to scoot out. And the Bible says there will be a falling away at the end of time. 
Christians are not going to want to stand for Christ because it's going to cost them. And as we get closer to the end, it may cause you to be martyred. So I believe as the persecution increases more and more, the, the part of the church that's not sold out, that part of the church is going to just fade away. And what's going to be left? It's going to be that bride that's without a spot and without a wrinkle. It's going to be a very interesting process. And, and things are speeding up so, so, so quickly. The violence in our land is speeding up. The, the whole gender situation uh, is speeding up. The division within us of Democrat, Republican, there's a snowball, and it seems to be gaining a momentum very quickly. But God is going to get a bride, and that bride is going to shine. It says this in Proverbs, excuse me, <clears throat> Proverbs 4.18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. I like that. So that, it, that the light of Jesus, as he, as he uh, allows us to be disciplined, as he allows us to go through struggles and hard times, as we continue to trust him, as we continue to obey him, I believe God is going to allow the light of his presence to shine up brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. So this idea of sanctification, this idea of holiness is not a static thing. We don't just say we arrive, okay, I've got Jesus in me, I'm good to go. I think the Lord deals with us even to the day of our death to kind of burn out of us the stuff that's blocking him from shining through fully. So as we keep walking with the Lord, I believe he, he gets rid of things that are blocking and he adds his own character through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a process. So ideally. We're not the same Christian we are today that we were a year ago, or in fact, even a month ago. We should be perpetually growing deeper into the Lord. We should be perpetually allowing more of Jesus' light to shine through us. It's a process, but never completes in this life till we get to heaven. So just wrapping up here, uh, just two things. You know, number one, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are in the Lamb's book of life. We looked at a number of references of there's a book and everybody's name is either in that book or they're not. Do we know for sure we've made a commitment to the Lord? So that's just a challenge. If you haven't, definitely do it. It makes all the difference in this life and it makes all the difference where we'll spend eternity. And the second thing I would leave as a challenge is how are we doing, if we've made that commitment, how are we doing in growing in holiness? How much light of Jesus is shining out of us? So let me ask this question. If Jesus was coming back this day, or this was your day, and the Lord's going to call you home today, are you ready? Am I ready? Am I living up to the light? Here's the big deal. Am I living up to the light of the Holy Spirit in my life? I believe when we take a step out of the Lord, the Holy Spirit through our conscience begins to say, no, something isn't right. You've got to deal with this issue. So that's the challenge I would leave us today. 
Are we walking in the light? Do we have a clear conscience? Do we feel that if the Lord came back, I could look at the Lord straight in the eye and I wouldn't have to hold my head down and be ashamed because I'd have to say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I know you've been dealing with some of these issues for a long time and you've been trying to nudge me to change, but I haven't. So it would be my prayer for you today and, and myself. I have to do it myself. But let the Spirit of God examine your heart. Am I really walking in the Spirit? Am I seeking to do what the Lord wants? Or is there parts of me that I'm not willing to surrender? Or parts of me that I know that are displeasing to the Lord? But again, I, I want to do that. So the challenge really is let go. Let the Lord have everything. Walk in the light he gives you. Walk in a clear conscience. And I believe as we do that, uh, as it said here in Proverbs 4, our light's going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Old Testament book of prophecy, the book of Daniel. And even, Lord, as you gave Daniel way back there a peek into the end times, giving him a peek of what's going to happen. Uh, that there's going to be a time of great distress. There's going to be a time uh, where there's going to be a, an abomination of a future temple. Uh, Lord, as you, you gave him a vision, Lord, even of a fact that there's a book of life and, and are we in it? Powerful, powerful truths, Lord. And I thank you also, Lord, just for the, the excitement that you, you point for us that not, well, I don't know if it's excitement, Lord, uh, but we know purging and trials are not fun, but the excitement of knowing what they're going to do, uh, that they're going to form the image of Jesus clearer and purer through our lives. So I just pray for each one on this screen, Lord, uh, number one, that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord, that, that we're in that book of life. Help us, Lord, to know that, to know that we know that we know that you're our Lord and Savior. And then, Lord, I pray for each of us here. Lord, search us. If there's stuff in us that's blocking us, if there's things uh, that we're not willing to surrender or areas that we need to, uh, to do that we're not doing, Lord, I just pray through your spirit, Lord, that you would show us these things very specifically. Give us the grace, Lord, uh, to let go and let you have every part of us that we can walk and just a, an open consciousness of you. And we just ask this, Jesus, in the power that's in your strong name. Amen. 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 God bless you, brothers and sisters. Walk in the light of Jesus. Amen.